Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Evolving Engineering and Construction Brands podcast with your host, Matthew Winkelstein. This is part two of Tom Weirich's episode. In part two, we dive into the marketing component of what he was doing. Part one was a lot about a story. Part two is a lot about what he was doing as a marketer to build the Acor brand, to build the renewables brand. He has some fantastic takeaways for marketers or sales leaders that are trying to understand what it's like to grow a brand in a new industry. So I think of this for people that have existing brands. How do you extend it to industries? And you know, there's a lot of people that are trying to understand how to service the renewables industry better. So there's also some great insights with that. He talks about the importance of having a strong team. Just a fantastic episode. And then, of course, we end this one with his best routine or habit. Hope you enjoyed this one as much as I enjoyed recording it. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. We have a lot of marketers that listen to this, so I do want to make sure that we talk about brands and yeah, how you yeah, utilize yeah. brand and communications to push renewables forward. How important when you were thinking about, okay, how do we get this message out? How do we get people to mm -hmm. resonate and grow Acor? How important was growing the renewable brand in that effort? You know, it's interesting. This was a situation which was almost like a once in a lifetime situation where you're not only growing a corporate brand or an organizational brand, but you're also building a brand for an industry at the same time. So it's one of those once in a lifetime situations where they're both one in the same. And we felt the responsibility for that. So as we were building out Acor's brand, I think the brand in the market was to talk about renewables and all renewables together, right? So that when we were targeting our customer base, so back then the customers we were targeting with our marketing for not only Acor, but the renewables industry was the government to say, hey, we're serious. We're coming up. This isn't just some technology we're putting on satellites, but this is technology that actually is getting implemented in community across the country. The second customer group is the financiers, right? Wall Street back in the early 2000s was only waking up to this concept of profitability around renewable energy investments. And that's when the John Cavaliers, who he's another person I featured in the book, who did the majority of the first IPOs in the industry, right? That's when him and folks like Nancy Floyd, the first female venture capitalist, in California, right, investing in one, that's when they started to really get into the industry and it started to really galvanize investments, right? So the financiers were the second key group of folks to talk to. And then last but not least, the other folks we were talking to actually were our own suppliers and manufacturers and technology providers, right? We needed them to break out of this mentality of I'm building a wind turbine or I'm building a solar panel, but rather I'm part of a large industry here that is building out potentially in the future, which we're seeing now, hybrid projects, right? And providing all technologies versus just one single technology. It was that situation where, yes, I was recruiting members, right? I was with my Acor hat going, okay, how do I get corporate sponsors for our program? So at the same time, I was thinking, well, how do we work with these stakeholders? How do you not only market to these customers for Acor, but how do we also give all those customers a call to action for the greater industry's sake? So it was a great opportunity. And I let me tell you, it doesn't end. It didn't end with that day back in my first day in November of 2003, right? It still continues today, 18 years later, where we all are called to, to be persistent and to talk to these customer bases and make sure that we're all working together towards the same direction. I tell people relationships are extremely important in this industry, Correct. but if you're relying on person-to-person -person communications to reach everyone, that's mm -hmm. not the most efficient way to do it. Relationships aren't going out the window, but the way people research, the way they consume information, how much self-research that people want to mm -hmm. do on their own time has completely upended this dynamic of what used to be a very handshake person-to-person -person business across the board, whether it was getting to know a brand or knowing development. And I haven't seen many companies do that well, but to your credit, 
EDP renewables has grown exponentially over that time. And so how yes. important has brand been for you growing there as well and growing into these other markets that you serve today? Listen, brand is all important, right? And I think for us, brand is built upon reputation, to your point. It's about relationships and building on those relationships, right? And I would say there's three key successes to why our brand stands so strong today in the United States and also globally, right? We're being the fourth largest owner of renewables globally is just mind-boggling, right? And when you look back at who we were 15 years ago, right? So I would say the three areas where we build brand significance or brand strength from is number one, our community relations. At the end of the day, we can't do anything without the communities we service or the landowners we work with on the ground, right? They're the ones who enable us and empower us to be able to build our farms and to deliver the energy produced from those farms to the grid, right? From the bat, if you don't have a good community relations team, if you don't have good relations on the ground, if you don't have communities seeing their future economic success in this project, then you've lost them day one. So it is a lot about the communications, about also working with those communities hand in hand to benefit economically the community that, that the project is serving. So the second thing that really has helped EDPR out a lot has been our global strength, right? It is about not only working locally and having local impact, but also having global resources and global case studies and global experience. We're now across every continent but Africa. We just entered into the APEC region last year through the acquisition of an entity called Sunsea, whose portfolio is 60% DG, which makes sense when you look at just Southeast Asia and island nations like Singapore and Indonesia and the Philippines and others, right? But it has really expanded us, but it's given us a lot of great case studies and ways where challenges experience. And with every region that we pick up, with every team that we absorb into EDPR, all that experience comes together. And I think what we're very good at doing internally is sharing all those case studies between all team members. And there's not a day, for example, that goes by that I don't talk to my contacts in Singapore or my colleagues in Lisbon or my colleagues in Sao Paulo and Brazil. There's an exchange of information through a variety of inner working groups, right? So in addition to synergy groups that help us with EDI, we also have these programs, these groups like Finance Ahead, for example, that connects all the financiers together to be really able to build upon that team strength. So teamwork and I think interconnection of team helps our brand too, because everyone knows that I'm dealing with this team in Singapore, but guess what? It's the same experience I'm going to get with this team also in Lisbon or this team out of Houston, right? So I think that's the second element. Say the third element, and I know I'm a little long-winded about this, but I'm a little biased, but I would say the third element has been, I would say, the people. We are, we all, at the end of the day, every developer is selling the same technology, right? It's the people behind the technology that makes the difference. Can I work with the team to deliver on time, right? And deliver a product that not only is on time, but is going to be there for 35, 40 years and works perfectly. For example, right now we have the largest relationship on the DG side with Walmart. They work with us because they were very happy with the products we're doing and they see a future with us. They can see us growing with them. So those kinds of long-term relationships are vitally important. And I think it's the people behind those relationships that make the difference. I can firmly say that we do go the extra mile and we have people here who have been here 20 years. And that kind of commitment and loyalty to a company for that long, especially these days when people are jumping every two to three years, is unheard of. I would say our last, but major secret superpower here at EPR. Yeah. In 20 years, like that's a majority of the renewables industry. So that says I, I something crazy. as well. <laughs> <laughs> we have these town hall meetings where we give out awards for five years, 10 years, 15, 20. And it's just incredible. We just had a town hall the other week and there are like five or six people who have been here 15 years or 10 years or five. And I'm like, oh my God, that's great. And having that retention in today's work place is just so important because everyone is being poached and traded in the whole thing. But again, it all goes back to brand. What attracts you to a company other than the job listing? The brand. I want to find out more about it. I'll go to the website. I go to their social media. 
are they really on social media? Are these are companies really pushing their people first before their product or technology, right? You go through that exercise. And as a marketer and a communicator, I think we're more keen to that, Matthew. But I think overall, though, any employer right now has a task in front of them is showing those values front and center in, in all their marketing, their messaging, their social media. Yes. And what I loved about your detailed answer was I heard a lot of and. So it's not a marketing <laughs> trick, right? It's, hey, you need to do the hard work first. And that's about having the organization. That's about having the right people. That's about communicating. But if you're just relying on those activities to grow your brand, that's not going to actually cut it either. You need to be able to distribute that information in ways that people spend time and where people communicate nowadays. And you mentioned social media. I feel like people go in two different buckets at times where they think we just need to keep our heads down and do the work or you know what, we can just market the business a certain way and then people will buy that and then that will be the way that we'll grow the business. And it's both of those are short-lived. I think that if you keep your head down and do good work, that has staying power regardless of whether you have a good marketing strategy. And if you have a great marketing strategy that attracts customers, but then that's not the way that you actually operate, those are one-time customers. That's not sustainable either. I believe you have to invest in two things, right? Number one, you have to invest in your people and giving them the tools they need to communicate out why they're excited to be part of EDPR. My mentality is every single EDPR employee, all 1,030 of us here in North America, all 13,000 of us globally, we're all ambassadors for the brand. As a marketer, my responsibility as head of marketing is to make sure every single one of them has the toolkit they need to be out there to talk about and communicate effectively about EDPR and its benefits, right? And number two, we have to invest in giving employees the time, the creative time to carve out, to think about how they can better the organization. I'm a big fan of open door policies where you can come to a CEO and say, hey, I have a great idea. Can we riff on it? I think you have to invest in in and teach employees, okay, carve out that time for creativity because some of the best ideas I get don't come from our marketing department. They come from our developers. They come even from our accounting team, right? They come from executive assistants. They come from developers on the ground, right? Some of those best ideas come from them. And all it takes is just carving out that time and providing that platform for getting that feedback. But And that's what makes the, fun, the job fun, to be honest. My job would be very boring if I didn't have this amazing talent pool to, to Dell from. So uh, yeah. yeah. And if I could add one more thing to that, because I don't always see this, and you, it's very reflective in your servant leadership style, it doesn't have to come from marketing, right? You're no. open to other people's ideas. They don't necessarily have to be a marketing professional to have a good idea. Could they execute it? Not as well as marketers can, but yeah. the idea can come from somewhere else. And you're more than open to hearing that. And you reference 100%. almost every type of person in the organization that you're willing to and probably have garnered ideas from. That's incredible in itself. And it's a death to yes. ego. And it's not about being fake, humble, or humility. It's a death to ego and just saying, listen, there are folks here. We're all one team. If I succeed in a marketing campaign, it reflects on all of them. And listen, if they succeed, it reflects on me. So I can't do my job without them. And I think that's the important thing to understand is brand is not just coming from the marketing department. Brand comes from every single interaction that we see across all departments here at EPR. Yes. Marketers, listen up. Do not be so defensive of what you do. Be inclusive of what you do across the organization. You'll actually end up better results. And you had mentioned it way back in the beginning of the episode about how important it is to get out there and form relationships. And you need those relationships to actually get what you want to get done. And if you don't have influence and you can't communicate your ideas, you're going to have a really tough time. Agreed, 100%. And listen, I get some ideas and I'm like, oh, this is no, not good. You learn that there's a kernel of wisdom in everything you get and a kernel of truth. And so I approach it going, I'm not going to shut this down, this person down. I implement the executive pause, right? Eight second pause where it gives you <laughs> enough time 
psychologically to put together, you know, what your answer is. There is something good in everything that comes our way. And we do honestly try to implement as much as we can. But there are times when, yes, folks come to us with, they think it's the, the best thing since sliced bread. And unfortunately, it's not, or it's been already done, right? But it's a learning experience. And I have to tell you, they'll come back though. And that's the important thing. They come back and they keep on yes. giving you ideas. And that's what's important. Absolutely. And I'm sure you've experienced this. There's ideas I've heard that didn't sound like very good ideas when I had it from my perspective. But when I took the time to understand what, help mm -hmm. me understand why you came up with this idea. What are we exactly. trying to serve here? And all of a sudden it's, I think this is actually worth testing. I don't know if it's going to work, but it's worth taking a try on this and we'll see how it goes. And the exercise is fruitful because to your point, I think you just perfectly summarize it. Where is the motivation? Where is it coming from? What is the root solution? What is the root problem? What is the cause of the question or the approach? And understanding that, I think, gives you more insight. And actually, at the end of the day, as a marketer, my customers, first, first customer in line is always our internal folks. They are my customers. External customers always come second from the perspective of trying to understand our brand. But obviously, when we're out in market, our customers externally are number one. My mentality is, let me start with my internal customers, because they're just as important as external customers. And I think that's something that takes discipline. It's not easy, because at the end of the day, I am wanting to be out there working with our customers externally, but you have to understand you need to, as a marketer, carve out that time to really talk to your internal folks and treat them as customers. Absolutely love that. And yeah, once again, it's not a perspective I see all the time, but it's why you've been so successful and why EDP has been so successful, why you were so successful at Acor. You can see that through this conversation. We're going to wrap up here. We always end with our best routine or habit. So while I'm going through my three takeaways, I'd like you to think about what your best routine or habit is. You know, most people probably feel like they don't have time to do everything within their job and you found time to grow an industry and write a book. So would love to hear what routine and habits drove that. But I had a couple of takeaways I just wanted to mention here. And, um, one is continue to follow your passion and attitude is everything. And so you continue to follow your passion until you ended up where you are today. But that wasn't your first stop. It wasn't your second stop. It was actually like third, fourth or fifth where you ended up there. And it was from not a great experience, but you maintained a positive attitude. You kept going and that's what allowed you to be successful. And then number two is when I was listening to your story about Bill, I was really struck by purpose. And so I think sometimes we struggle with purpose of what we're doing at work and what we're doing in some of these instances. And it's probably a little bit easier when you're in the renewable space because you're really trying to take care of the environment. But what I heard through the biomass thing is he gave back and his purpose was through the people that he developed and the relationships and how important that is. And if you're familiar with sports, people talk about coaching trees all the time. Yeah. And it's the same thing, executive trees, right? Like I, I think that when I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to ultimately be judged and judge myself on how many people I impacted. How did I impact my family? How did I impact my community? How do I impact the people that I come across of every day? And I think that's something we lose sight of. And even if you aren't finding that purpose in your job, there's always a purpose when you're working with people that you can help other people. So that and, was another and Bill, one. And Bill keeps on creating impact. He's passed on, but he now has 50 people out there creating the same impact he did. So you multiply your impact quota by X, right? By doing this. So a hundred percent agree. Yeah. And then my last takeaway is brand is reputation and it's built with the, with the activities that you do, but it's expanded by 
communicating that brand in the places and in the mediums that people communicate and that people spend time consuming information nowadays. And so you put in all the hard work in the beginning, you and the company to build the team and to have the right people. But then from a marketing standpoint, you've leveraged all of those positive interactions, all of those good stories, and then distribute it to the people that need to consume the information. So you've been able to have that as a force multiplier instead of just, hey, doing the good work with that one customer. And maybe they talk about it, maybe they don't. You've been proactive and to to use your word shameless about asking to be able to get this stuff done and move forward. And view your entire team as a marketing team. That's the key. We do not, we are sometimes as marketers, our worst own enemies. We focus on, oh, I don't have enough marketing team members, right? Folks, you have a whole team, a whole company. I have 1,030 marketers. I can beat out the competition because guess what? I have 1,030 marketers out there who know the brand, who can push us out. So be smart about it. And and that's just my message to fellow marketers is you have a great team in front of you. Just use it. There's yes, nothing preventing you, you. And people will say, yes, they'll be happy to do it. And you can learn a lot. You can don't let a gap in knowledge deter you from what you want to achieve, especially today. There's so many tools out there. There's so many freelancers out there. There's so many ways to take the real good ideas the quality ideas that are close to customer and close to success that you hear about in your organization through your team of the whole company marketers, and then translate that into the medium that you think is the best way to deliver it. So don't let a gap in knowledge or a gap in resource deter you. Determination, keep up the determination, Mm -hmm. keep up the positive attitude. So Tom, I want to thank you again for taking the time to do this. This was a fantastic episode. We could talk. I think we need to have another episode just talking about- (laughs) all the renewable stuff. And we could do another one just talking about marketing stuff. I'm glad we were able to start to form a relationship through this and want to thank you for also being open to that. Why don't you take us away with your best routine or habit? Yeah, it's a habit or a routine that is a combination of a sense of gratitude, an act of gratitude, but also an act of paying it forward, right? We all started where we are today because of somebody. Somebody opened a door and took a risk on us, right? So the habit I have is I actually take a 15 to 30 minute call every week with somebody who is reaching out to get started in the industry or somebody who's in the industry looking to make a jump to another part of the industry. And so I do that every week. And when you think about it, there's what, 52 weeks in a year? I just helped 52 people in a year. And you do it not because you get some kind of karmic circle around or boomerang. You do it because it's helping the industry and ultimately helping you. And we all have that responsibility. That's a habit I have. And I've been doing it now for the last 12 years. And it's been amazing to bump into people that you helped, that you forgot you helped years ago course in the industry now and they remember that you helped them and you're the one who picked up the phone call so encourage you all to do that and now you are being a force multiplier on bill's force multiplier and it's amazing what you can achieve with intention it's not a ton of it's 15 to 30 minutes it doesn't completely break your schedule but you're able to give back and that's awesome so thanks again tom appreciate everyone for tuning in we'll see you next week great thanks so much matthew thanks everybody